Hey there, Foster Care Nation. This week we're coming to you with a story that I think is appropriate for the times. A while back, my wife found a post that talked about something that gets overlooked a lot. Transracial adoption. This post was on Love What Matters, and that's a big site. If you guys haven't seen it, check them out. They have a lot of neat, inspiring stuff on there. But this particular post had a guy on there by the name of Barry Farmer. Barry Farmer is a nationally syndicated morning talk show host. He has a big show and a lot of presence in the media and the things that he does with the radio program. But what most people don't know, that Barry, as a black man, has adopted three young white boys. And they have an incredible family. And we talked to him about his journey and his experience and how he got there. At such a young age as what he did, it was a really amazing story. It was great talking to Barry. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode and see how race relations should really be done. Foster care and Montpella Junior! We like to talk about all things kid-related, whether it's foster kids, bio kids, adopted kids, step kids, or anything else. I think the information you'll learn here will be very valuable. We like to bring you guests who have either been foster kids themselves, lived with foster kids, or maybe even people who are helpers, like psychologists and caseworkers. If you have a story that you'd like to have highlighted on our show, please feel free to contact me at fostercareuj at gmail.com. We can chat and set up a time to do an interview. I'd love to be able to tell your story. We're here to inspire you to become the best parent that you can be, whether that is a step-parent or bio-parent or foster or adoptive. What we really want to do is change the world for the better and leave it in a better place than we found it. Now on to the show. Hello and welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason and Amanda. And today we're going to talk with a guy that my wife found on Facebook. There was a post that kind of went viral and she sent it to me. I went, hey, this looks like an interesting guy. I did a little bit of research and a little bit of research says he's a real interesting guy. Barry Farmer is the has a morning show out of Richmond, Virginia on 101.1 FM. If you go to berryfarmer.com, you can find all of his information. And he has an incredible wealth of knowledge here from his own experience in kinship care himself, all the way up to adopting transracially and living through the foster and adoptive life as well. Barry, how are you doing today, man? Oh, I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, man, we're doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Excellent. Well, you heard what I was saying there. You know, we, we saw the post, and I find mm-hmm. it so interesting because well, also well, which one was it? Adoptees. It was the one. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness, uh, it was on uh, Love What Matters. Okay, Love What Matters. Okay, I remember that one. Mm-hmm. There you go. I think that's the one I actually wrote myself. You know, usually they'll reach out and they'll make up, not make up, but they'll put their own words to it. That one, you actually have to put it in your own words, which I kind of felt better about that one. Well, I can understand that for sure. <laughs> yeah, having that control instead of somebody putting more right, 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 right. <laughs> Especially on something that I feel is so important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because not many people really understand. They think that, you know, if you're going to adopt, you know, the white couple is going to adopt the white kids. Mm-hmm. And the black couple is going to adopt the black kids. And, and that's just the way it goes. Right. That's not just the way it goes. Yeah, often no, it's not. We we find ourselves in a different in a different world, you know. And Amanda and I are that way, you know. We we've done some transracial adoption as well, 
You know, mm-hmm. I, my, my wife is, is painfully white, as you can see from the uh, picture. I'm very there. Irish. <laughs> and I am very ambiguously brown. And okay. we have kids across that color spectrum. You know, have a couple of kids darker than me, mm-hmm. a couple of lighter than me, and some of them that are just as white as Amanda. And, and for us, it was never an issue. You know, there was never any real question about that. Mm-hmm. Except when we first started adopting, you know, when we had to decide how our family would react to things. That was a conversation we had to have. But other than that, there was never much of a question about race in there. Right. I think part of that's because I came from the place where I've been asked what I am more times than I can count. And I usually just make up something that sounds interesting. (laughs) And usually if we're all together and you're with me, we don't get a whole lot of talk. People don't ask a whole lot of questions. They, Mm -hmm. They tend to shy away, but it's, me when I'm out with my children by myself is when I get the looks and I get the questions and, you know, and, and people are very, well, people are not very tactful sometimes in what they no, 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 especially when our children are present. So I can only imagine that, that you've had some similar experiences. Yeah. Well, um, Similar to the point where, you know, we are a transracial family, but nobody really has had the the goal, I should say, to walk up to us and question who we are as a family. So I'm, you know, even being in Virginia, the south, the capital of the Confederate, <laughs> um, <laughs> nobody's really ever approached us like that. Now, maybe after seeing us on TV, they might yell at us from across the store or approach me in the bank or something like that. But nothing where I'm uncomfortable, and I'm thankful for that. <laughs> that's that's really nice uh, because I, I've I've had some questions. You know, mm-hmm. where's their real mama? And mm-hmm. I've had the accusations of you know stealing people's men and, and children, mm-hmm. and that only happens when I'm by myself. I guess I need to get a meaner a meaner face because when Jason's right. with me, they. I don't get that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why they don't approach me. Maybe they have that, uh, that look. Because I do sometimes catch myself having a look that says I'm not approachable, even though I'm really approachable. Um, I've been trying to work on that. But, you know, it has worked out. I see. <laughs> it's for the better. <laughs> oh, it, it has its benefits. Trust me. It, right, it really right. does have its benefits. Because my husband, he he's a big, huge teddy bear. But people look at him and, and they're intimidated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, sometimes that really does work to our advantage right yeah Barry I think you could probably agree with me there's definitely an advantage on having a face that that you can get people to step back and not get in the middle of your business when you just mm-hmm. need that face right right I, I perfected it now it's time to you know when you're dealing with the public more especially with the radio show and things like that and people want to approach you on a different level you have to <laughs> you want to look approachable I bet. But now let me ask you this question about all that. You know, because the way that people act in person is one way, but as we all know, you know, the Facebook warriors, the the keyboards in on on the radio show, on the phone, or the email, I'm certain they have to have to behave slightly differently for you that in that place. Mm, I would, um, well, I look at them more as uh, social media activists that they are. Who knows so much, but the only reason they're activated is because they're on social media. They don't do anything really in person, per se. And I've ran across those people in the comments, which I really have stepped back from the comments ever since the first 
viral go around where it was like exhausting to even read these people who know so much about you and you've never even laid eyes on them a day in your life. So, you know, I've taken a step back from um, reading comments on social media and just, you know, continuing to do me and do what I do on and off of social media. That's wise advice for anybody, especially somebody who's been in the media a bit. Right. You know, let's push back because as we talked before we started this, it's, it's been a hot minute since you first started this, you know, it's just now kind of, you know, come to light in the last few years, I guess, maybe not come to light, but, mm-hmm. but kind of come to prominence that I've seen. And there, there's a beginning story there. What, what pushed you in that direction? What made you decide that, that Barry Farmer wanted to be a guy who was going to foster and adopt kids? I mean, what, what pushed your, your heart in that direction? Well, I grew up in kinship care, which is another form of foster care. And I end up, um, after living with a few different relatives and friends of family, um, I ended up living with my grandmother, whose name was Cora. And I didn't know Cora at all. So it was almost felt like a typical foster person because you're going to live with someone you don't know. And um, growing up, it wasn't like the perfect, you know, life. It was just really a step above what I was already going through as far as um, family dynamics. And it was a better situation than I had been previously living. So, you know, going through all of that and having those same experiences and same emotions as um, other foster kids. When I, once I was older and I was out on my own, I came across this ad and I guess it was like the unemployment guide, I guess. And I was really, to be honest, really looking to be a truck driver. <laughs> so that's why I picked up the unemployment guy. But when I saw that it said become a foster parent today, I was like, well, I'm not really doing anything constructive right now. I can at least occupy my time with um, some, um, you know, some type of mentorship and foster care. That's what I thought foster care, foster parenting was. It's like a mentorship. And you open your home up and, you know, you make sure they get to school, make sure they're taken care of, they go back home. So when I first started, I really never had any intentions on adopting right away. I was, if I was, ever was to think about adoption, I was going to think about it in my thirties or something, but not at 20. <laughs> <laughs> well, as, as a guy who can give you some real insight on this, where you're at life is way better than pushing gears. I do it on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a truck driver? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I got uh, locally. Okay. Okay. Cool. Very cool. So yeah, that's what I, my original int- my original intent was um, just to find something because I was working in a child care center anyway, so I was dealing with kids all day long for like fifty hours a week. I was working myself my butt off, you know, just in and out, day in and day out. But you know, that's not as fulfilling as it would be to be a uh, foster parent. So I started making um, some decisions because I was in a one bedroom. Um, making some decisions about moving and if I really wanted to go forward with it. And I actually um, called and set up a um, interview because I guess that's the way they do it. You know, you get an interview. And I was, when I set up the interview, I was hoping, I said, I hope they don't ask how old I am because they probably left me out the place. And at that time, I was about, that was going on 20 years old. So I went to the interview. I met with the director of the, um, the agency. And she did ask that question, like, how old are you? And I was like, ugh, here we go. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> I told him 20. She, I just turned 20. And she was like, oh, really? Well, and I appear older. I always appeared older. So I probably appeared about 30 to her already. <laughs> <laughs> so she was very um, impressed with my um, story. I told her about my background and I told her, you know, why I felt like I was a good fit for this. And I was already doing a little mentoring in my neighborhood anyway with some of the kids that I was working with at one of the local schools. And she decided to give me a shot. And she actually had to go through a few hoops with the upper you know, above her to even get me that shot. So um, that's how I became licensed. Oh, it's not often you find a guy especially Mm-hmm. at 20 years old who's interested in that I, you know one of the things that i've noticed i've talked a lot about with my wife a place that i think needs to be brought into this conversation is that so many foster dads are just that it's all about the foster moms you see that everywhere mm-hmm. you don't see a lot of men talking about this world and right. for me i see it as this right now at this moment in time i am writing my obituary mm-hmm. And I'm going to leave a legacy, whether that legacy is an abusive, abusive drunk, a horrible mm-hmm. father, an absentee father, or a great mm-hmm. man who mentors people. I'm doing right. that today. Right. And I think that's something that, that men out there need to hear, that that's, that's something we need to be looking at. That's true. Because, Very true. yeah, your, your legacy is, is what you're, the only thing you're going to get to leave behind, really. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why so many men seem to be absent in, in this conversation. I don't. I don't really see them as absent. It's more that maybe they're busy. They're they're in it. You know, when you're in it, in the middle of it, you really don't. Some of us really don't have the time to stop and think and absorb what's going on or the impact that we're making. We're just getting on, you know, with life and whatnot like me in this whole situation with uh, the media and things like that, you know, they, they stumbled upon me and my little family and we had already been together five years at that point. So it's, you know, once you're noticed, it's like, Oh, well, I didn't really, really realize I was doing something out of the ordinary or not, or something not stereotypical. You know, I just was doing what I thought was right and what meant a lot to me during that time. And now, it's not just between me and my boys. It's between me and my boys in the world now. Yeah, I don't envy that position at all. I'm pretty <laughs> satisfied if, if it's just us and our kids and we don't right. have to do with the world at some point. Right. Well, with, with it, it comes in waves. You know, you just discovered the, um, the article. There have been so many articles that are floating around. People are always emailing me about something, even that happened four years ago. I was something that was published four years ago. Oh, I just read this. All right, well, yeah, that's pretty old there. They don't even look like that anymore. <laughs> so like, I've already done that, got my teacher, right. I'm working on the next. Right. Um, it's, and I'm not a blogger or anything. You know, there are those of us who are foster care bloggers and bloggers and things like that. Um, I've vlogged, I've blogged, but that's not it was here and there and whatnot. It's nothing that I'm focused on. I share my thoughts and I keep it moving. So, you know, that's, you know, I'm not an intense blogger or someone who has to post things about foster care and adoption every, every day. If you follow me on social media, you'll see that I'm posting about everything that's life 
really. So, you know, um, but I don't knock anyone who's doing the vlogs and blogs because, you know, it's that's their passion. It's my passion too. I just express it a little differently. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I just, I know in our experience, like in our neck of the woods, we've got a, um, a foster support group and um, it's, it's very helpful, but every month when we would show up, there'd maybe be one other father. And I think mm -hmm. the two dads regularly that were showing up, this other father and my husband, it was almost kind of intimidating for them because they're in a room full of estrogen. <laughs> they're only guys, and, you know, and women, we, we can be a little catty. Hey there, Foster Care Nation. We're going to take a quick break and talk about where you can find us online. Be sure and check us out at fosterCareNation.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Our page is at facebook.com slash the number seven time dad. We also have a group in there. If you'd like to see what we're doing there, you get to hear the podcast a little bit early. The best way you can possibly support us is to be sure and share this podcast with a friend or a family member who might be interested in the content. Also, if you have a couple extra dollars and you'd like to support us with a dollar or two a month, that would be amazing. It would help me fund my dream of being able to have a race car someday. Actually, no. No, it just buys chlorine tablets for the pool. Because my kids proved to me just the other day that my fears are right. They're not getting out of the pool enough. And I need more chlorine, more chlorine, lots and lots of chlorine. I appreciate you guys listening in. Check us out online, connect with us, and if you'd like to have your story featured on our show, be sure and contact me at fostercareuj at gmail.com. Now, back to Barry. You know, right. we want our way. Mm. And so the two poor guys that would show up, they'd just kind of sit there so that they could get their training hours that were being right. that was me. offered. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and... I always wonder, you know, where are these dads at? Because the moms would bring the kids with them too. Cause we did like, we had a small mm -hmm. area set up for daycare for the kiddos and stuff. And I just think it's, it's very important to model for our children, mm -hmm. you know, strong, passionate men, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. our daughters need to see that our sons need to see that. Right, correct, correct. So as your sons have gotten older, um, how have they, I mean, I, I'm just going to make some assumptions here, which is always dangerous because it's my mm. mom used to say, when you assume it makes this out of this and that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, you've been one before. It's okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, but, um, you know, I, I would assume that, you know, the kids just naturally have moved into this as dad and that oh, might yeah. be normal for the people around them, but it's normal mm -hmm. for me, you know, that was something that took me a minute to get used to when the first time when kids showed up at our house and, Day one, they're calling my wife, mom, and day two right. or three, I'm dad. And right. but it's a normalcy thing that that is really easy for us. Have there been mm -hmm. any pieces of of that that's been difficult for you? Uh, no, my oldest son, because all of my sons came at different points. They didn't come together. A lot of people assume when they see them that they're like biological brothers. They are not. <laughs> um. So when my oldest son came, he's been calling me dad since the day I got him, and so have the other two. So, you know, they just naturally wanted that connection, I should say. Was that kind of odd for you, or did you well, go right into that? Let's back up a few before those three. Before those three, I had a 16-year-old foster son, and I was 20. 
Wow. How was that? <laughs> That's very close in age. Yes, very close in age. And I, when we first started the transition, because I picked him up from a group home, um, he was described very differently than who I met. <laughs> so <laughs> he was described as this little guy that's... Um, he was described as a little guy um, with, you know, baby face and whatnot. And I pick him up and he's got more hair on his face than I do. And he's about my height. <laughs> well, you got to love the, um, right. the descriptions that children sometimes. They can be cryptic. Believe it or not, he would call me dad. And when he first called me dad, and I didn't answer because I didn't know he was even talking to me. Because I had took him to uh, work with me at a summer camp, and we were cleaning up, and he was saying, dad, dad, dad. And my coworker walked by, and like, the boy talking to you? Are oh, you talking to me? Oh, that's you. Okay, well. There you go. Let's do this. Yes, yes. So how can I help you? It was just really odd. For us to be that close in age, and he wanted to have that type of connection at that point. But that's but, really amazing because mm -hmm. sometimes when you're so close in age like that, there's a lot of well, I don't have to listen to you. You know, right. you're you're not very much older than me. Why do I have to listen to you? What mm -hmm. knowledge can you give me? You can't punish me. You can't. You know. <laughs> so that's really, really nice. That right. And he came with his um, trauma, his issues, and whatnot, but. Overall, what I could see is, is someone who was looking for a connection. I'm not sure exactly how he wanted to connect, but I knew that's what he wanted. He just didn't know how to express it or accept it. You know, that trauma so, piece is something we see as a real common theme through all these mm -hmm. kids because mm -hmm. kids don't come into care for fun. You know, this is not fun, right. right? Yeah, right. And there's always a trauma piece attached in there somewhere. Um, what have you learned about dealing with those traumas as you've fostered different kids over the years? Uh, that you, there's no blanket effect, really. Um, I had to revert back, back to my own um, experiences and how I felt during certain times and periods. Um, but I, yeah, I couldn't, I do parent each child differently, even if I have three in here with me right now, everyone's parent. Different, differently. The consequences are different. Uh, the conversations are different. And that's how um, I'm able to make it as a single father by not doing it like a blanket effect. Now, one thing that is clear across the board is with all three of my sons is I don't sugarcoat anything for them. You know, I'm not, I don't pacify any, um, any situations that they are going through, I have to let them know the real deal and how people are going to react to a certain way that they um, act and how they present themselves and what you can expect in return because there's no, there's no helping them by beating around the bush. You have to let them know up front that this is just the way it is sometimes and you have to learn to not only adapt but to adjust your attitude and your, and your way of thinking to be successful. Oh, I think that's a, an amazingly important piece is knowing that you have to be honest with these kids. Mm -hmm. I have a friend of mine who's a um, psychotherapist, and one of the things he talks about is the way that uh, the transition that the human brain makes between what he likes to call the child brain and the adult brain. Mm -hmm. That happens in adolescence typically, but in a lot of foster right. kids who've seen a lot of trauma, that happens at a much younger age. Mm -hmm. And learning how to, how to present that honesty 
to them in a way that not only they can understand, but they respect you for it. Right. Because hey, kids know when they, when you're blowing smoke. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I think a lot of times they realize it before we even realize it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why I just avoid all of that and just get straight to it. Absolutely. Now, are you currently fostering any children or have you closed your license? Are you done or? Oh, no, I'm not. No, I'm more of a, you know, the advocate for foster care and adoption. I'll speak about it all day, but no vacancies here at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) I understand that one. We're, we're currently full to the brim at the moment ourselves. Exactly. So, you know, and then plus, you know, with my schedule and having three kids on three different schedules, it's. You know, I wouldn't do that to myself or any other child that I couldn't make time for. So, you know, I, the, the responsible thing to do is to stick to what I have and what I know and um, just make sure that we keep speaking about those who do need homes. That's really awesome. That's kind of why we um, we started this podcast, because we wanted to, for a while there, we took a little bit of a break when we lost mm-hmm. our daughter. Still wanted to be able to advocate and and help and let the world know that there's a real need here. So that's why we kind of started the podcast. Um, But yeah, with the pandemic right now and everything and having the kids home and homeschooling Mm -hmm. and working full time, Mm -hmm. our schedule just wouldn't allow more children at the moment. And it's fair. But yeah, I didn't know if you were still current or if you had any plans of closing your home if you were done right now we're closed and i don't really see me opening up i can always change my mind of course and people always tell me oh you're going to change your mind but that day hasn't come yet and uh you know i'm in my early 30s so (laughs) i spent my entire 20s parenting so you know sometimes you gotta be anxious to get back to adulting a little bit more (laughs) Yeah, I mean, at 30, I'd say you're still a spring chicken. Right. Right. 30s was a while ago for me. (laughs) Amanda and I have been parents since 1990-something. Yeah. The late 90s, I guess. (laughs) A good long while. (laughs) Yeah, we started early, and for whatever reason, we just decided we didn't want to stop. Right. Now, how old are your three boys now? I've seen pictures. They look like they're probably from the early to mid-teens. Oh, yeah, they're old now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One just turned 18, one just turned 16, and one is 10. Okay, wow. Wow, yeah, that's that's the spectrum right there, isn't it? Right, right. So, you know, I'm in the teenage years of, ugh, and uh, and, uh, I know, I know. Oh, yeah. And now you said they were not a sibling group when they came to you. They each came at their individual Right points. How well was it easy for them to integrate to each other? Um, It it was pretty, pretty smooth. I I would say it was pretty smooth because the distance between each of them it it allowed me time to um, bond with each one individually and build some type of relationship where it's father and son and family. You know, so when one would come, it would be all of our decisions. And if another one came, then we it would be all of our decisions. No one was left out of the choice and no one was pressured into a choice either. That's really awesome. 
you know, that's really, I think that's a smart way to, to try to do that. We, we always try to have family meetings and, you know, and we, we bring all the kids around and say, Hey, this is, you know, this is what we're looking at. What do you guys think? You know, mm -hmm. let's, let's get mm -hmm. your input. Do you have any questions? Right. They're going to be living with them too. Yeah. It affects the whole family. Everything changes that moment a new child steps through the door. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's not always, not always roses. <laughs> I, I, I find that when we give our children choices, it definitely makes the transition so much easier. Right. You know, when they get the choice of, you know, a new stranger coming into the house, you know, mm -hmm. are they going to steal my toys? What about my clothes? <laughs> this is my right. This is my Xbox. Don't touch. And, mm -hmm. <laughs> so. I'm certain you never heard any of those arguments in your house, though, right? Oh, no, because everybody has their own. They're very spoiled. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's cut out the middle stuff. And I mean, they know how to share, but. You know, right. it's always great to have your own. It keeps the peace, and they still interact with each other yeah. on some degree. And I will say that I have not met um, many single foster and adoptive fathers. Um, so with you being that, mm -hmm. what would you say to the single guy out there that wants to do this but doesn't know how? You know, what's, what wisdom would you offer to that? Um, what I would say is if you're thinking about it, just do a little research, talk to a few people. And there are going to be people who try to talk you out of it. There's going to be people that try to push you along and encourage you. You go with your gut and your feeling and where you are in life at the moment. Cause you know, you, what they, what we don't understand as single parents is to have a, um, a relationship with your child of any sort, biological or adoptive or foster, that you are essentially giving up some sort of freedom that probably you're not even really doing nothing with anyway. So <laughs> what you would have to do is recognize that your life will revolve around these children until they are able to care for themselves. And um, that's what I noticed about class. 10 years of my life is, you know, my life has revolved, I've revolved all the way around with these boys. I haven't made that one decision that um, wasn't based on them, you know, even with moving or school-wise or working, if I needed to work somewhere else, you know, I had to first, how would this affect them? Can I be present? And if I couldn't, then I'm, you know, I'm not going to move in that direction. So you have to realize that your world, your world is going to revolve around them for a while. And if you're willing to accept that and, you know, do that, then this is for you. You know, that's, that's part of this whole game, isn't it? That you have to eventually figure out where, where you, the important things in your life lie. Mm -hmm. And I know guys who, whose world is based around the football game this weekend right. or baseball or beer or whatever it is. And it sounds to me like you've found a real piece of meaning that comes out of your own childhood that you mm -hmm. take into the future and affect future generations. And that, that's, that's pretty amazing. So right. how would you encourage other people to, to see that perspective in life instead of, instead of that self-centered, let's go get drunk and watch football every <laughs> idea? I mean, I'm mad, mad at football, don't get me wrong. Right. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't see... I don't think I need to encourage anyone to do what they feel is right in their heart. 
that that shouldn't take someone else telling you to do it. You already knew. And if the thing is, if you know it, then just act on it and just know that this road right here and parenting in general is not, uh, rain, uh, what is it? Rainbows and unicorns, you know, and ice, ice cream pops every day. You're going to get your picnic rained on a few times and, you know, you're going to have your blood pressure up a few days and <laughs> it's going to be tough. <laughs> and that's, and I think, um, what tends to happen is we tend to separate foster children and fostering children and parenting your biological child is two different things. And what would never happen if this was your bio child or whatever, that is not the case. You cannot say that, that your biological child would have been different than your adoptive child. You have not met them. And if you do have biological kids, that doesn't mean that they were going to be a walk in the park. The only difference is maybe your biological child hasn't experienced as much trauma as this foster child or adoptive child. So now you might work a little bit harder than you would with your own bio child. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and say amen because <laughs> we, we have biologicals as well mm -hmm. and they're not much different. Right. You know? Oh no, not at all. And, and that's the thing. You know, there should not be that distinction. Mm -hmm. Children. Because I know children. I read a lot of those on the um, adoption boards, the groups, or whatnot. About, would you do that with your biological child? And like, what is the difference? A consequence is a consequence. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of natural consequences myself. You know, let things play out, and then you will learn. But, <laughs> you know, I hate when people bring that over. You wouldn't do that to your biological child. Like, well, oh, wow, you're separating. If there's that distinction, mm -hmm. then you, you don't need to be here doing this. Right. There should be no distinction. Every child that walks through that door, through our door, that, that's our child, and they're going mm -hmm. to be treated as such, and I won't accept it any other way. You exactly. know, I won't have anybody else put that distinction mm -hmm. on my children. You know, Correct. And that's the thing. So many people, you know, well, you could just give them back. Right. And oh no, the you know, this is not a pair of shoes. <laughs> these are my children. Right. Whether I birthed them or not, mm -hmm. these are my children forever and always they will be until the courts or someone else tells me differently. Mm -hmm. You don't give up on your children and you don't separate them like that. You're right. causing further trauma. Right. So yeah, that that's a big pet peeve of mine when people <laughs> say things like that. I I could go on a tangent, but I, I know mm -hmm. I shouldn't. But just to say that it, if you're making those kind of distinctions, then you, it's not for you. Right. And you're doing more harm than good at that point. So <laughs> end of end of my little tantrum there. I'll step step off the soapbox and <laughs> maybe move on. <laughs> well, I, I'm curious, um, from your own journey, do you have much connection with your biological family now? My biological family? Yes. Um, I keep in touch with my aunt who took care of me for a while as well. Uh, my grandmother passed away um, a few months after I got my oldest son in foster care. So I, you know, she was a connection that I kept for a while. And my aunt keeps me abreast on all of my siblings who are, you know, who are, what they're up to and whatnot. So if I don't see them, I'm, I'm definitely hearing about them and I know they're hearing about me. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> you know, but we're adults now and, you know, we have our own families and things to tend to. And we try to gather here and there throughout the year if possible. But, you know, it's, it's just the way it is right now. You know, and the reason I ask is because that family connection is so very important. And mm-hmm. I'm actually working right now with a uh, nonprofit trying to develop a program to work with kids who are looking at aging out of the system without making mm-hmm. that family connection. Right. I think that's such an important piece is being able to create a family structure that when a kid is 21, 22 years old, going through the things that those kids do at that age, they've got a place mm-hmm. to reach back. Right. Right. And I had some mentors growing up as well who really looked out for me and showed me some things I probably would have never saw, took me places I probably would have never went to, you know, to um, mold me and encourage me and to you know, give me some something outside of my neighborhood. Um, so, you know, mentors are important to they, they make an impact on children as well, as well from different backgrounds. I would agree completely. That's one of the things that I, the re, one of the reasons I think we actually have been involved in foster care is, is I grew up, my, my father was a police officer. I've got a couple of friends of mine who, who, well, one of them he met professionally mm-hmm. when the police called the, or when his, the, the kid's mom called the police and said, come deal with this boy before I abuse him. Lord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. And he was a teenage boy. He was going through some stuff, right? right. Some things going on. And my dad was able to reach out to him and extended a hand and said, Hey, you like to go out and do these things. Let's, you know, you get your stuff together and, and I'll take you with me. And he was about my age and, I mean, today I can tell you where he lives. I know his wife's name, his kids, you know, we, we, we still communicate to this day, you know, and, and mm-hmm. he really became connected as part of our family through that. Now it's just to a, a, a happenstance sort of meeting. And, but that is the thing I think that really shaped the direction of his life and the power of our ability is, as men to reach out into a, a young man's life specifically mm-hmm. and change that trajectory, man. It's, you don't have to change it by too much either. You know, no. degrees of change will take you the difference between your, your cruise ship ending up in India or ending up in Antarctica. Right. <laughs> you know, you've got a lifetime to go. And then if you can point a kid in the right direction, that'll make a huge difference. So I think right. what you're doing, you know, when you talked about at the beginning, you know, even that very first foster kid at 16, you had that ability to influence not just a 16 year old, Mm-hmm. but however old he ends up being, you know, you, you have that influence there. And I think that's, right. that's such a motivating piece for me to be able to reach out and change a life forever, even though you may never know how you changed it. Right. Unintentionally, but you know, it's still happens. How many children have you fostered? Do you know? Uh, uh, I think, let me see. Am I three? And then that one. And I did a few kinship placements, so about six, seven, probably. Do you still have a connection with all those children? Or I guess they're probably not children now. No, they're not children now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they, yeah, periodically, yeah, I do. That's really awesome. Um, there's there's certain placements that I would I would give an arm and a leg to, mm. to hear from. But we do mm-hmm. mostly younger children, and sometimes right. they're young enough that they, you know, they don't even remember exactly, you know. And sometimes that's really for the best too, mm-hmm. you know. But 
that's just it's it's really awesome what you're doing and we just we wanted to give you a shout out to say hey we you know we see you and mm. and it's awesome because too often people are just overlooked right um you know and like i said i was i was reading that article and it, and it's really neat to know that you actually wrote that one yourself um i <laughs> have to look into that because maybe mm -hmm. if, if someone would publish me in my own words that might be really great but right. you know, i i read your article and it, it spoke to me you know awesome. and um i actually I, I remember when when i read it i was at work and i had another co-worker with me and me and this other lady we read it together and uh, there was a couple of tears shed between the both of us. Oh, my. It was just, it was, it was tears of joy, though, mm -hmm. you know, because too often there's the bad stories. Right. There's the the traumatic and, and all that. But your story just reminded me of hope and joy. Right. And, um, and just, just overcoming. Everyone. Yeah, overcoming the adversities that are mm -hmm. out there. And I just, I wanted to be able to share that with our audience um, because wow. we don't want to just share the bad, right? you know, we want to be uplifting. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that was the main reason why I sent it over to my husband is so that we could try to get a hold of you and say, Hey, you know, this is awesome. And, mm -hmm. and thank you. Well, I wasn't too hard to find. <laughs> no, no, you really weren't. Um, when, when I sent the article to him and, and he came back and he's like, he's on the radio and this and that, I'm like, whoa, I didn't know I was doing all that. Right. <laughs> you know, but I mean, that's cool too. You're out there doing your thing and spreading awareness yeah. and, yes. and, and helping the, yeah, the platform and things like that. So it's, you know, it helps both ways in a sense, but, um, we, you know, we're just typical people living normally, trying to, um, you know, live our best lives as much as possible, overcoming the past to make a brighter future. And isn't that all we can do? That's all we can do. Mm -hmm. We just, and, you know, I, if people really think that the um, the culture thing is what's going to divide us in our own household, and it hasn't. Um, because I did whatever I needed to do to make sure that I was going to have something culturally appropriate for them. You know, but when I first got my um, oldest son, we lived in a very urban area and I tried to figure out how to get him more connected to more uh, white people than black people or have some sense of, of level diversity, I should say he can have those racial mirrors every day so he doesn't feel out of place or he doesn't feel like he needs to adapt to an environment that isn't really not for him. So I moved <laughs> with that stuff. And I and I moved um us out to, right, to a more diverse area where he could interact with all types of races, but more importantly, interact with people that look like him on a daily basis outside of the home, because there's no other white person in here at that point. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, you know, making sure that, you know, and I did that without even knowing that it would be beneficial. I did it because I felt it was right. You know, I felt that it, it was important to do. No, no one had to, I didn't have to read a book I didn't have to read an article or anything like that. It just naturally felt like the right thing to do. And who knew that after that, I would get into more um, 
sons of the same cultural background of some sort, and it would be more, even more beneficial. So it was just like then it was an instinct of to do what's right and to do, you know, something that um, would in the long road be helpful. And I feel that um, isolation is real when it comes to adoption and not many people realize that what they're doing or if they do realize they're doing it, they're trying to turn a blind eye to it and try to help their child from a different culture adapt to something that's not meant for them. And if we recognize that and accept that, you sh- well, number one, you shouldn't be adopting outside of your race if you're not able to provide uh, um, daily racial mirrors to them, someone that they can connect to and can teach them about how to take care of them, themselves, their skin, their hair, outside of your knowledge, because you don't know it all because you've never been that place before. I don't know. I've never been white. So I would not know <laughs> <laughs> what I what I need for, for my hair, for your hair. Or what it, you know, I was asking my white friends that I would work, was working with, like, where did I go to get haircuts? And oops, I forgot the sunscreen. Where, what kind of sunscreen <laughs> should I get? You know, <laughs> these things that I had to learn. And, you know, when you go to the barbershop and they're asking you, what do you want, a clip three or a clip seven? Or do you want some inches? I'm like, I'm not used to nobody asking me that. When I go to the barbershop, I usually get to sit in the chair and I say, I want to eat. And they know exactly what I'm talking about. And there's no more questions about it. So, you know, it was all of that, the little things that curl up into this big ball of, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> then it's like, um, I'm not, I, I've seen a lot of, families and my passing on social media do that and I'm like ah y'all should move they're asking questions I'm like you really need to move you really need to get connected to um, the culture connect them to the culture you don't even really have to teach them you let someone who's been through it all their lives teach them how to you know be enthralled in a culture instead of keeping them on the outside looking in and then they don't know how to react when they're older and it's like they're now they feel out of place between you and where culturally, instinctively they come from. You know, that sounds a whole lot like uh, I heard somebody speaking recently about the difference between being colorblind, which I always thought was a good thing, and being colored. Mm-hmm. Aware. Mm-hmm. And I think aware is a big piece because our mm-hmm. kids, you know, when, when our first two placements, which are currently our longest running adoptions, um, when they first showed up at our house, they're mixed ethnicity, right? Right. And so I can kind of get down with some of the hair stuff. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I've got kind of a fairly coarse hair myself. Mm-hmm. I can kind of figure some of it out. But what, what we came to find out, because we're in a small town area, some of the people who live around here were, were friends of their family, knew them, turned out to be wonderful people. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, um, my our son, Deshaun, he's got a friend in his same grade and um, his dad and and Deshaun's biological dad were good friends growing up. And, um, you know, his biological dad is deceased, but it gave him a connection point. They knew each other and they have been such an integral part of that family. You know, his, um, let's see his, uh, his friend's grandmother, uh, she has reached out and, and we have another little boy who's with us who's, um, uh, turtle turtles adopted. I always have to think about what his actual name is because I just call him turtle. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> but but turtle was at, at elementary school uh for grandparents day one day and and my, amanda and i we, we don't have anybody to send to school for grandparents day right was well, it turns out 
this same woman was up there seeing her grandson and she just grabbed him and put her under her wing and he was just with her for the day and just allowing them to have that piece of connection. That's, you know, because we all look a little bit different in my house and some of us is just a little bit different, you know, but it allows them to have all those different pieces of connection with different cultures and reach out to them and say, Hey, how do, what, what would you do with this hair? You know, if, uh, you know, for anybody who goes back and looks at some of our older podcast episodes, the one turtle story has actually been told and you can see his head of hair and this boy's got hair, you know, it's not quite as long as yours, Barry, (laughs) but I think it's getting close. Wow. (laughs) And he just loves it, you know, and figuring out how to take care of that. That was something we had not had to do, but to reach out to the community and say, Hey, you know, we, we need some help here. Help us. And and be willing to reach in and, and help others. It's that piece of building a community allows you to to do what you were talking about earlier, and that's just making an impact in our world yeah. and those around us. I think building strong communities is something that that has been let by the wayside as we went from a, kind of an agrarian society here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. to to a more urbanized and suburbanized, and we all kind of keep to ourselves and we don't build that community around us. Right regardless of what culture you come from. Right. So what would, what would you, uh, what would you say to people who are out there looking at, at doing this and who might have some fears around, around that cultural difference? Because I mean, obviously there's not just white kids and black kids, there's Latinos mm-hmm. and, and wow. every other race under the sun. Yeah, and what would you say to somebody who might be a little bit concerned about that? Not necessarily opposed to it, but afraid of some of those pieces. Uh, if they're afraid, then they shouldn't do it. That's my opinion. Um, if they're afraid and they're still open-minded, then they should do it. They should be willing to learn and research, um, connect with others who look like them to ask them, like, what is the best way to do X, Y, Z? Um, that's my advice to them. You know, if you're going to do it, do it right. <laughs> and doing it right means... 100% means stepping outside of your comfort zone to get it done. Because, you know, that's one of those problems that we tend to be selfish enough to keep them in our bubble instead of helping them create their own bubble where they are aware, self-aware, and can be self-sufficient and have those to guide them and help them become independent in their culture. I think I'm, I'm with you 100%, man. It's just that willing to be able to reach outside of your own comfort zone that's so important. Mm-hmm. That's right. So do you have anything that you're doing right now? Any any programs that you would like to, to talk about? Or? Uh, no, I'm you know, I'm on the radio every day uh, somewhere, like I told you, somewhere. <laughs> we, are, <laughs> we are a syndicated radio morning show. We're on seven different stations across the country. Um, so if you really want to interacting with me, it's always best to probably follow me on social media somehow. Um, my personal page that's public, of course, is <laughs> um, on Instagram is I am Barry Farmer, and you can follow, follow the Barry Farmer Morning Show on Instagram as well. And look me up on Facebook as well as I, at I am Barry Farmer on my pages. Probably don't set many um, friend requests because I don't know you like that. But most of my friends, <laughs> most of my friends on my friends list are someone that is uh, connected with in some way, um, or we work together, or we work in a group where we just bypassed each other, just missed each other, but we work with similar folk, and I trust those folks. 
So, you know, but if you want to go on my, my like, my, what is it? Fan page, like page or whatever, feel free. I'll be over there to just comment. And I'll say hi. You know, I'm not shy about anything. Just, you know, I like to be respected a little bit. <laughs> so keep that, you know, keep that energy where you're at if you don't have any those intentions. But other than that, you know, I'm on Instagram. I'm having fun with the followers and things like that. And I've already let them know I'm not a blogger. So don't be coming over here thinking you're going to get a photo shoot every day because that's not what we do. <laughs> I feel you. I don't have any planned photos of us doing activities and anything like that. We don't plan activities. We ju- they just happen. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I listened to a little bit of your morning show because I was able to, to find you online. But mm-hmm. I don't think you're you're here live in St. Louis anywhere. No, I don't think we've reached the, anyone in there yet. Um, but it's growing. I don't, you know, when they tell me, "Oh, we got someone here," I'm like, "Oh, good." Well, I just <laughs> well, you know, Barry, I think part of what, what drew us to your story and to you as a person is just that when we heard your story, when, you know, I first started interacting with you, we can, yeah, you can tell somebody's genuine and cares about the important things. Right, and right. it's fairly obvious to me, you're not terribly concerned about the media putting the best spin on your story that they possibly could or about being the most popular guy in the room. You no, really no. seem to care about kids about Georgia. Yeah. yeah, I do. I care about kids in general. Um, I've always been someone, and since my early teens, that's worked with kids. I've had a lot of fun working with kids. I tend to be structured when I work with kids because I don't want them to think that, you know, they're going to walk all over me because that's not the case. But, <laughs> they, but building that bond that says that I got you, I got you back, I got, um, uh, I'll never tell you anything wrong. So, you know, um, and it's rare that you see males in that position working with kids. And with that, you know, you have to be extra careful, you know, with anything that you do with kids when you're a male. So, you know, it's like, uh, it's not one of those things that welcomes males or open arms when it comes to working with children. But when we are in there, I do try to make sure that we are in the best light and, you know, have you know some reputation about it that, you know, that we are welcoming their stakes with with me. Yeah, because there, I mean, like you just said, there's a lot of stigma there. People think that, you know, especially a single father going into Mm -hmm. this type of endeavor, they think that they don't have pure intentions. Exactly. And that's that's a sad state of affairs, first of all. Isn't it? Can you imagine how many more kids would be probably taken care of right now if more single men get involved without being questioned about their intentions, but they can really be genuine about it and say that I really want to help. But, you know, that kind of deters people as well. It definitely does. So, And I don't blame them. I mean, you know. no, 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 not at all. You know, so thank you for stepping up and shedding some light on that role. Right. You know, I hope that it's an inspiration for other guys out there that, you know, maybe come across your story and be like, well, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to jump in. I'm going to be all in and we're just mm-hmm. going to do this. Right. You know, so I hope that, you know, it just, it, it shows some people that, Hey, you can do this. There are people that are doing it. You know, right. this is where your heart is at. Go mm-hmm. do it. You know, that's one of the things I've always said is, you know, we all have that thing that sets our soul on fire. And if that's yours, man, go, go rock the world, make a difference. Right. 
Uh, and it sounds like that's what you're doing. I did my best. <laughs> <laughs> it almost sounds like you're cutting yourself a little short there. Oh, you know, it's very hard. And I talk about this on my show too. It's very hard to like pat yourself on the back without sounding arrogant or whatever. Cause you don't want to come off as arrogant because I'm a very humble person, but you know, it's that thin line of, you know, making sure that you acknowledge that you are doing what's right for the purposes of um, yourself. And not, you know, I'm not no savior. You know, I didn't come here to save kids and whatnot because that's not who I, that's not what I'm doing this for. I did this out of pureness, the kindness of my heart and um, the love that I have for children and those who should have a chance to experience some type of normalcy. So, you know, that's why I do it. It's not from no cape or anything. You know, it's right. good to be humble, but you also need to give a little credit where credit's due. Right. And I'll let others do that. I won't give it to myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's apparent that your heart is in the right place. And I love the the inspiration that you're able to give to people. So I really want to thank you for coming on and, and telling your story on here today because it's a story that needs to be told. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so I appreciate you guys reaching out and um hope we wish you much success in doing this podcast as well.